I think they look older because they basically quit their childness. Just imagine being a kid of 12 or 11 years old carrying an AK-47 in the middle of the Colombia jungle in the night while it's raining and you are shooting to someone that you don't know who is. It could be your brother who is in the other group and you are just fighting a war that you don't understand but basically is what you have. It's the reality with what you grown up. So you're just following what has taken place into your community for the last year and you basically couldn't keep being a child anymore. And once you enter the war, you are not playing anymore. You're actually putting your life in risk. You're actually taking commands. You're actually receiving orders. You are going through a very, very difficult type of training taking place. And then you are basically in a war zone where you are shooting, where you are living under grenades, where you are dealing with money, where you are dealing with the business of cocaine. So it's like suddenly you have no more space to be a child. Welcome to Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. And this is Colombia in the face of crime and violence. In September 2020, a 17-year-old called Farid Leonardo Luna Sierra was sent to a local shop by his mother, Ilionette. Usually his mum would go herself, but she was feeling unwell. Farid wandered down to the store and bought the pills for his mum, some panela, which is a sort of unrefined cane sugar, and a cola roman, a Colombian drink that's marketed as the world's oldest soda. It was a warm and humid night. And being so close to the Caribbean coast, it's normal for this part of Colombia. Farid lived on La Victoria in the Via Maria neighborhood in El Carmen de Bolivar. As Farid began to walk back, he passed a group of people who were hanging out in front of their homes. When suddenly two men pulled up on a motorcycle, dressed in black, they approached and opened fire. Farid's parents, only a street away, were watching the news and were startled by the shots. The parents told news website El Universal that when shots are fired, your immediate reaction is to close the doors. But for some reason, Ilionette started to cry before shouting, My son is over there. I want to see my son. Where is my son? Farid's father, Leonardo, left the house in search of his son. What he found was a scene of chaos. Four people lay seriously injured and two were dead, including... Farid. His father said that his son was still clutching the soda, the panela, and the pills for his sick mother. You might ask why this massacre happened, why Farid was killed. It's the same question that his mum, Ilionette, asked. By all accounts, Farid was not involved with gangs, he liked music and football and was still studying in school. The attack took the life of four people. Two of those wounded eventually succumbed to those injuries. Local police said that one of those killed and one of those injured were thought to be involved in drug trafficking, 
and Farid was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this is an all-too-familiar line in Colombia. For decades, an armed conflict has raged. Left-wing guerrillas, right-wing paramilitaries, the Colombian military and drug trafficking cartels have battled from Bolivar to Cauca and Antioquia to Choco. Meanwhile, normal people have been caught between warring sides, often targeted because of it. There's an excellent book called There Are No Dead Here by Maria McFarlane Sanchez Moreno. It's a story of individual Colombians who stood up against the paramilitaries who committed acts of terror, violence and murder against citizens. The level of brutality is quite shocking to read. There was this one story about a shopkeeper in a rural part of Colombia. He was taken from his home into the jungle by the paramilitaries, tied to a tree before being beaten and mutilated, including gouging out his eyes, before eventually being executed. Why? Because it was alleged that he'd sold some food to guerrilla fighters, who, bear in mind, reportedly made him sell supplies to them under threat of violence. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Although that story was from a while ago now, the use of violence as a means of control is still used by the successors of these groups. The first reason the attack is to attack the other group, but also they attack civil society to show control, to show that they are the ones in the power, they are the ones in charge. So basically they use violence as a way of criminal governance. This is Felipe Botero Escobar, head of Colombia programs at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Sometimes groups do kill people who is consuming drugs because they said we just use drugs to sell and to move somewhere else, but you cannot consume drugs here. The group go and kill someone who is using drugs in the territory or in the town where they are operating. Or if there is a problem between two neighbors, one of them can go to the group and say, hey, this guy just moved his cattle and enter into my land and he is not willing to move his cows out. So the group go and will use violence to, in this case, show justice or do what they believe is giving justice in the community. Now back to Farid. He was one of 16 killed in El Carmen de Bolivar and the surrounding rural area in just four months. Since FARC left most of the territories, there is a lot of places in Colombia and a lot of places where we are working that are in the middle of confrontation between organized criminal groups. Actually, if you see the numbers, there is less casualties with the army or with the police than people who is part of different criminal groups that are in a direct confrontation in a war just to take control of the territory. Who was behind the attack that left Farid and three others dead? is less certain. But the government and military pointed their fingers clearly at Clan del Golfo, the paramilitary organised crime hybrid. This group follow a franchise system, you pay for the name, and this franchise called themselves, rather absurdly, Héroes del Caribe, Heroes of the Caribbean. For regular listeners to Deep Dive, you will remember we did three episodes on the history of Clan del Golfo, the illicit markets they were involved in and their former leader, Otoniel, who was captured last year and extradited to the United States, where he has since been convicted and jailed. But this episode isn't about the criminal groups. It's not about those that exploit and disregard the rights of those they live amongst. If you want that, go back and listen to the episodes on Clandel Golfo. Instead, 
This is about those who live in those same areas, alongside the violence, normal, everyday people. Thinking back to what Elianette said when she heard the shooting that claimed the life of her son, she said that their immediate reaction was to close the doors. Imagine growing up in that environment, where organised crime and the toxic violence that emanates from it is never too far away. It's no surprise that it can breed fear, anxiety and, of course, more violence. According to the World Bank, Colombia had a homicide rate of 27 per 100,000 people in 2021. And according to think tank Futuros Urbanos, 61% of those were assassinations. Well, I think it has a lot of impact because there are generations who are being raised in violence. And this is something that has happened in Colombia for the last 60 years. It's been 60 years of young people and children being involved and being raised in violence. And this creates also a culture of violence and a range of expectation about what do you want to be. So if you are a very vulnerable kid in a very vulnerable rural town in Colombia and you see the guy from the armed group in a motorbike with a gun, with money, with girls, sometimes you start willing to be that guy. You, you start seeing that taking part into an armed group as a valid and profitable life project. So it creates, let's say, the wrong incentives for the kids about who they want to be in the future. And at the same time, it's the reality. So armed groups are in control of their sons. There is no state there. Actually, the criminal group sometimes act as the state. And this is all what you want and all what you have and what you expect to get. As Farid's death shows, even if you don't have a desire to be part of an armed group, this violence can still affect anyone and everyone in a community, and none more so than children. The brain of humans grows from around 25-80% to 80 of its adult size by the age of 2. Those billions of brain cells and trillions of synapses are created. How those connections are made can determine the behaviour of a person. And for those who suffer traumatic experiences, brain development can focus on things like short-term survival, heightened stress responses, and the dulling of emotions or a reduced ability to control them. But it goes further. Those same traumatised children struggle to concentrate, struggle to maintain healthy relationships, struggle to communicate effectively, and usually won't do well at school. And all this contributes to social isolation, and an attraction to gangs, somewhere that provides a sense of belonging or protection. Now, this is a problem across Colombia, and so something needs to be done. And that's where Somos Comunidad comes in. Somos Comunidad operates in municipalities historically affected by the conflict. This is Joshua Mitrotti, director of Somos Comunidad, which is a project run by the Pan-American Development Foundation, the PADF, alongside the Global Initiative. As you know, Colombia has been a country strongly affected by the conflict. Since the 1960s, we have had guerrillas. Since the 70s, we have the participation of drug trafficking, illegal mining, other transnational crime issues. And in the territories where we are, all these risk factors are present. All these actors that also converge with the lack of capacity of the state we have a complex geography where the presence of the state has not been so strong historically. This must be clearly stated. 
in the last 30 years, there's been a very important evolution of the presence of the state. But we still have some risk factors that make these 35 municipalities where we are in six regions of the country, seven departments, very complex areas, areas where we can create innovation laboratories to learn from practice in these more complex municipalities of our national geography. Colombia, public policy is often built with the capital or the country's large cities in mind, but never in these truly isolated, disconnected municipalities with problems related to security and coexistence. As you heard from Joshua, Somos Comunidad is in a number of places across the country, but for now, let's focus in on one. About 13 kilometers from El Carmen de Bolivar, the place where Farid was killed, is the village of San Isidro. And this is Yolima Cardenas Diaz, the president of the San Isidro Community Action Board. The main driving force was to see those children so disinterested in the classes, so disappointed. There was a school disappointment at that time. We parents and we as Community Action Board began to realize that something was happening. We began to talk with the teachers, and the teachers told us about the problems that were happening, and they realized that it wasn't normal, all the violence and the bullying that was occurring in the institution. And, thanks to a friend, he gave us the opportunity to have this initiative in the institution in our township, and we were able to implement it with a hundred children, which was wonderful, to rescue those hundred children because we arrived at the right time and with the children who really needed that help. Now, you have to understand the importance of actions such as these. It's preventative. To try and stop the violence before it starts. To try and build community resilience to crime and violence by strengthening social cohesion and promoting citizen security. Here's Joshua Matrosi again. I believe that a successful resilience strategy is when there is a real capacity to listen, to build collectively from the communities. But undoubtedly, there is also a receiving ear, a receiving eye of those capacities to improve the institutional framework and the functioning of the social rule of law. I believe that both are necessary. I believe that we need organized communities that are aware of the problems, that build critical routes to solve them. But on the other hand, I also believe that this work, this binomial state and society, are key to be able to talk about resilience. I believe having one of these capacities, either institutional or community, would not really allow us to speak of resilience in terms of being able to mitigate and adapt to these conditions of risk that we have in the face of crime and violence. Entre otros. This idea of citizen coexistence is really interesting. And in this episode, you'll hear from a few of the kids that went to these initiatives in different regions and departments of Colombia. And they all spoke about learning to coexist better or be less quick to anger. Just listen to Jamilet, a school student from San Isidro. When they told us that a program was going to come and they were going to give us a talk, at first I thought that it was a lie. But when I arrived, I approached them and I really liked the way we interact. The games, the dynamics and everything was wonderful. In the talks, we play games about how to ask for a favor, how to apologize. That was one of the first points 
we saw that everything can't be beaten with aggression, but through dialogue. Those were the first points they told us. They also made us do a play about violence that is happening nowadays. Everything went well. At first, we didn't know how to do it, but we all helped each other so we could do something better, and everything went well. Over a three-month period, the initiative brought kids together through activities like sports and the painting of murals, building self-confidence, self-esteem and peaceful coexistence. And by doing this, hoping to prevent that social isolation, the poor mental health and attraction to gangs. Yes, it had changed a lot. I was a person who didn't feel sure of myself. And thanks to this initiative, I learned to be able to trust myself. I learned that I can't criticize without knowing other people. It helped me a lot to also be a better person and how to help others when they need me. And this is partly what the Somos Comunidad project is trying to address, to teach children strategies for coping with the difficulties around them. Colombia has had a serious problem with armed groups for decades. From the FARC to the AUC to the ELN and the Autodefensas Gaitanistas de Colombia, otherwise known as Clan del Golfo. Away from the drugs and the guns and the violence, the forced recruitment of children is perhaps the most sinister component of these groups. According to the Truth Commission, which was established as a result of the 2016 peace agreement between the Colombian government and the FARC, between 1990 and 2017, armed groups recruited 16,238 minors in Colombia. Nearly four out of ten were from the Afro-Colombian or indigenous communities, showing this crime affects these more vulnerable and marginalized communities. Here's Felipe from the GI. It is still a problem and it has been a problem for a while. So since FARC times and since ELN time, there has been forced child recruitment with different tactics. Most of people believe that it's a very violent type of recruitment, but no, it's a very friendly type of recruitment where the recruiter get together to the kids, start talking to them, understand what's going on in their house, how is their economic situation, and start creating a case. That was more or less how FARC used to operate. And nowadays there is everything. You have since very violent force type of recruitment, like the ones we saw in Caquetá a couple of weeks ago, where people from an armed groups enter into a school and with a gun on the teacher said, you, you and you come with me, and those kids never came back. And also you have a lot of children who grown up in their territories willing to be part of the criminal group. According to reporting from El País, over the first three months of this year, recruitment of minors aged between 13 and 17 has already hit 23 in four departments of Colombia. And those are the ones that they know about because there is a danger in the families reporting this. There are some researchers that says that the, the media age of middle-range commanders in another region in the country where we are working, which is the north of Cauca Department, is around 16 years old. So people who is already in charge of other people, who is in charge of routes of narco-traffic, is people who is no older than 16 years old. So it's a very prevalent phenomenon in the country. 
and one of the most oppressive ones against the children. So when you were asking me before, how do this conflict impact the kids? Well, we have a lot of kids that are taking part into a war, first of an internal armed conflict and now around drugs and illicit economies that are fighting a war right now in Colombia. Save the Children released a blog about child recruitment by armed groups in Colombia. And there was this quote from a 12-year-old girl called Sophia that stuck with me. She was talking about the children who had been taken, who were living with the armed groups. And she said, Children in the surrounding areas have left their childhood. They don't have the same appearance. They don't behave like us. They come and go on motorcycles, even with guns. They look older. I think they look older because they basically quit their childness. And once you enter the war, you are not playing anymore. You're actually putting your life in risk. You're actually taking commands. You're actually receiving orders. You are going through a very, very difficult type of training taking place. And then you are basically in a war zone where you are shooting, where you are living under grenades, where you are dealing with money, where you are dealing with the business of cocaine. So it's like suddenly you have no more space to be a child. Children are groomed by predatory members of armed groups with promises of money, a motorcycle, authority, women. They use social media to glamorise the life within the armed group. But little do the children know they have been snared. And once in, they can't leave. Your childness is basically overcome and your family, your environment becomes the people from the group. And being in the war is, is not a nice experience. Anyone who has taken part into a conflict can tell you that the fear, the loneliness, and just imagine being a kid of 12 or 11 years old carrying an AK-47 in the middle of the Colombia jungle in the night while it's raining and you are shooting to someone that you don't know who is. It could be your brother who is in the other group and you are just fighting a war that you don't understand, but basically it's what you have. It's the reality with what you grown up. So you're just following what has taken place into your community for the last year. And you basically couldn't keep being a child anymore. And it isn't just boys and young men. Girls and young women make up a third of recruits who, it's unsurprisingly depressing to say, are frequently sexually exploited. This impacts predominantly children from rural areas where armed conflict is prevalent. And UNICEF reported that 80% of those children had previously worked for organised armed groups. Sometimes paid, sometimes not. This could be anything from cultivating illicit crops to reporting on their community before eventually formally joining. In the region of Bajo Cauca in Antioquia, the village of Altos del Tigre, is one of those places caught in the crossfire of warring armed groups and state forces. In 2020, nearly 500 indigenous residents hid in their homes as the ELN and the Colombian army clashed, some bullets hitting homes. Genis Teran is a local leader in Altos del Tigre. Bueno, Altos del Tigre, antes de que existiera esta iniciativa... Eh... Altos del Tigre, before this initiative existed, a community that somehow ignored the potential that existed in children and adolescents. Children playing from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 6, 7 at night. Sometimes we would see parents picking up the children, looking for them house by house. I would see them at 8 o'clock at night because they didn't know where the children were. 
other children with a backpack of stones and rubber bands looking for pigeons in risky places. Some were in the mine after school. Some began to study and in the middle of the year, they left. That promise of a better life is, I'm sure, something everyone can understand. Because we humans hope. It's one of the most remarkable sides to people. Hope can be what drives us. And when society provides you with little, and the hope for something better is right there, the pull obviously can be strong, even if it is joining an armed group. Because in places like Altos del Tigre, opportunities are limited. Zero. Zero. We did have sports, but it was just games, recreational type, because there was no option of having a coach or something like that. For the rest, the option for them was school or work. So many illicit crops, others in the mine, but in fact, there was a lot of school dropouts. There are very few resources because it was either the field or school, and after school, it was a playing field, television or working with their parents. And then there is the glamorous life that you can have when you're in an armed group. At least, that's the facade. Because armed groups, like every other part of society, use social media. And they use it to promote themselves, but also recruit new members in a rather insidious way. Here's Felipe. So, pictures with the motorbikes, with the guns, with girls, with money, start creating an aspirational model for a lot of kids in Colombia. And mainly if you're a kid that struggles to get to school, struggle even to get connection, and when you connect to the social network, to open your mind to the world, and what you see is people from your community doing, let me put some quotation here, doing well, well, in the armed group, and that, of course, create a lot of engagement. But I would like to say that as social networks has been used to promote forced recruitment, they have also been promoted to create safe environments for children. And that's the case we have seen to Mako, where different digital influencers are learning to use their social media to actually send positive messages and to kind of make a counterbalance against criminal groups on social networks. The Janus face of social media. And so let's head back into Bajo Cauca and the village of Altos del Tigre. Here, Somos Comunidad set up an initiative based around music, creating a protective and nurturing environment for the kids. Twice a week for three months, 50 children learnt new instruments like piano, guitar and drums. And one of those that attended was 11-year-old Dana. The instrument I focused on the most was the guitar. Since I learned to play several songs, such as La Estrellita, María Tiene Un Corderito, and La Vaca Lola. And then, in the workshops, they told us about the risk that may exist in the communities of all, where we can walk freely and be careful with anything that can harm us. The music classes were also accompanied by lessons around knowledge of protective environments and looking after yourself. Here's another attendee, 12-year-old Dajanis. One of the most important things I learned was to share with others, to be in coexistence with them. It helped me or taught me to be able to share more with others about risk factors, how to find safe places in our communities, 
how to walk at night, not walk along, and it helped me to learn to give my knowledge to other children. For parents, it was just about their kids learning a new skill, but also some way to occupy time which in turn perhaps reduces the risk of recruitment by armed groups. Here's Nancy Teran, the support and coordination liaison for the initiative. Well, something very interesting about the benefit is to see how the adolescent population, in spite of being in a rural area, they were so vulnerable to be tempted to fall into vices. Another big danger that I am going to say is that we as parents were very afraid of forced recruitment, because it is something that was experienced in the area, right? So we, as parents, the peace of mind of knowing that our children were spending their free time well was a great peace of mind for us in the community. Because all of those things that we are seeing here, there were perhaps things that no one can hear or see. Learning an instrument gives these kids a way of channeling that energy into something constructive and positive and perhaps even showing an alternative vision of what might be open to these kids in the future. Here's community leader Jenis again. Both they and their parents to know that they had potential, that they were not just the son, the successor of the father. Simply cultivating the land, which is not bad, it is very good, but you can cultivate the land and continue being a farmer and have another dream. To be a musician, for example, and music is something that is not just in case you have the opportunity to be an artist, to record a CD or something like that, an album. Music relaxes you. Music helps you to enjoy your free time. It helps you to get rid of stress, to have fun with friends, even if it's just making music in a folkloric way, I say. Next, we go to the department of Cauca. This remote region in the southwest of Colombia hugs the Pacific coast to the west and rises into the great mountain range of the Andes to the east. Rural communities grow all manner of crops, including coca leaves from which cocaine is ultimately derived. Like Antioquia, Cauca is also blessed or cursed, depending on your viewpoint, with the natural resource of gold. But it's also the location where competing armed criminal groups like the ELN and ex-FARC, drug trafficking organizations and the government vie for control. The communities, like in other parts of the country, are once again caught in the middle. And that brings me to a man called Edinson Murillo Ararat, a social leader in the municipality of Santander de Quilichao. Last October, Murillo and his bodyguard, Yefer Madina Chevata, reportedly on a motorbike, were traveling through a place called Tamanango when two armed men attacked and killed both Murillo and Yefer. Murillo was also a member of the Cimarona Guard of Northern Cauca, a community self-protection initiative. The point of this non-violent initiative is to help protect the territory and communities from the armed violence that has so often plagued this part of Colombia, but it's also made them a target for armed groups. At the time of his death, Maria was the 137th social leader killed in 2022. That reached 215 by the end of the year, a new record. And the murder of a social leader of a rural community can be catastrophic 
because they are so important. Here's Felipe. They are fundamental, Jack, because Colombia is a very big country and very dispersed and very rural, even though there is a lot of population living in cities and every year there is more people living in cities. You have a huge rural areas of the country and are in those rural areas where most of illicit economies take place. The other characteristic of those areas is that they're very far away from the political economical center. So there is not a lot of presence of the state there. And normally it's the community leader, the one who is bridging the state to the community, who is fighting and who is bringing social services, infrastructure to the communities, and who is speaking out for the needs of the community with the state. So they have a key role for first organizing communities within themselves, also with other communities, and also bridging and keeping the conversation alive with the state, making the state to come to the rural areas to bring some of the services and to actually provide services and basic human rights to the community. So they are key persons. And if you go and kill that person, it's like leaving that community completely alone and completely unplugged with the rest of the political and economical system of Colombia. Remember that this is a part of Colombia that's experienced frequent violence. It's been the location for a number of armed groups. So to stand up and become a community leader is a huge risk to yourself, your family and the community. These are risks that the younger population have noticed. At that time, unless there is a regeneration of the leadership, which is another problem that we are facing in Colombia right now, and, and I will do a parenthesis here, is right now youth don't want to get involved into leadership positions because they know they can be targeted, they know they can be killed, and they and their families don't want to be killed or displaced. So there is another problem, and is because of the violence against community leaders, against human rights defenders, there is no a renewal in the leaderships taking place in communities. And we need new leaders to keep plugging those communities. So in the moment when you kill that community leader, you are giving all the control to the armed group. But that time, the one who is going to breach with the state will be the criminal group. The one who is going to provide justice and who is going to solve differences between neighborhoods in the rural community is a criminal group. So killing a leader is kind of the final point on a sentence to say, now I am the one in control. That term, unplugged, is quite tragic. Communities cut off from wider Colombian society, unable to participate because armed criminal groups have them in a noose. With the murder of a social leader and no one else to take up that position, the community are blindfolded. Luz Adriana Siena, who we'll hear from in a moment, is the president of the Community Action Board in Kinemajo. The husband of her predecessor on the Community Action Board was shot and killed in 2021. We are a territory victim of the armed conflict, but we cannot stay there, just being victims of the armed conflict. We have to give and also support from our leadership, promote everything that has to do with community resilience that our community members know and understand that there is much to do, that we are resilient, and that in all that resilience, we have to use it to overcome all the damages we've received and all the things. So today, we feel proud of our community. Now, music is an important part of Kinemajor culture. You can see this through its famous Christmas festival, 
which takes place in February rather than December. Now this dates back to slavery in the early 19th century when the enslaved Afro-Columbian community were forced to work throughout December attending to the slaveholders' festivities, so their own celebration started 40 days after December the 25th. So the idea behind this initiative was to focus again on music and the youth population, many of whom have maybe witnessed or experienced violence at the hands of armed groups. The music helps them express themselves. Here's 12-year-old Nicole. Eh, pues, nosotras. We still did not even know how to value each other. Yes, I tell you that we used to fight, but today we live in peace. The teacher taught us to live in peace, as they live with this group, and then he also taught us as to say respect, kindness, and sincerely, and punctuality. And this is 16-year-old Sophia. Bueno, pues, the teacher has instilled a lot of respect in us since I was the last one to join to the group and then the first time I went they were fighting, they argued about everything, but the truth is that the teacher has instilled that in us, that we have learned to value the environment where we are. It's interesting listening to the different kids that took part in this initiative. Two of them, called Anna Victoria and Connie, spoke of learning about psychoactive drugs, so things like cannabis, and about not losing their youth, both for themselves and their community. The initiative from the Somos Comunidad project gave community leaders a chance to give something to the younger people. Here's Luisa del Carabalí, director of Semillero Palmera. There is something very important here which is that the community wants and the young people also want to do this, because this goes hand in hand with wanting and doing. That is why today we are doing these things and are so beautiful, such as music and everything we are doing with these beautiful kids. To create a better environment, a better space for these kids, the government needs to step up and show that they're in control and care about their citizens. That doesn't feel like that much of a lofty ideal. But when we remember that this is a country that has had half a century of armed conflict, even more if we go back to a period known as La Valencia during the late 40s and 50s. Regardless, I wanted to know where the state was. How do they interact with these rural communities that suffer under the yoke of armed groups? And that is part of the problem. After decades of violence and mistrust, we have two sides that don't trust each other. And that is where the Somos Comunidad project comes in getting each party around a single table to jointly create a better society. So, has it, or will it work? Here's Felipe from the Global Initiative again. This is a very, very good question, and I think it's very soon to say, or, or to measure the effectiveness. But what is important is the fact that we are identifying that there is community responses already in place. Having known them and having been able to speak with them and with their leaders, what I tell you is that these initiatives are at least some small points of hope in the communities. And they are kind of changing the paradigm, saying even though there is a lot of violence, there is a lot of conflict, there is still an ongoing 
war on drugs taking place in my territory, I'm trying to protect my children to soccer. I'm trying to avoid problematic consumption of drugs in my territory by using better the time of youth people. They're for sure creating islands of hope. And I think this is key in a moment where communities feel all the pressure of organized crime and feel all the pain of their leaders being killed or displaced from their territory, realizing that there is other initiative taking place and that there are initiatives that can bring other actors, as was the case of Santander de Quilichao, where the government took part of the initiative to build something together. And these are roads that are just opening to find solutions from a bottom-up perspective, from the ideas and the needs of the people who lives in the territory and who are the most affected by organized crime. Here's Joshua, the director of Somos Comunidad. We understand resilience as a capacity of people, but also of institutions. We understand it as the possibility that people have to resist external actions, such as violence, crime, lack of coexistence. And we want to generate these capacities to prevent, mitigate and recover from violent actions in order to maintain adequate levels of citizen coexistence. This is why, for us, cohesion and strengthening of local security systems go hand in hand to promote resilience and make the community and the local security system work and feedback. And that is part of our theory of change, which states that if the social fabric is strengthening Colombia through dialogue, trust is fostered which allows us to mitigate relevant threats in the areas where we're working. And on the other hand, Colombia's institutions and the communities affected by the conflict work proactively and harmoniously to improve security systems. We're going to make our communities and our institutions more resilient to the effects of organized crime, violence, among others. This has been a bit of a different episode compared to our recent ones. I think that's because I wanted to show a different side to the study of organised crime. It's so often a dark subject, often glorified, sensationalised and little understood. Because behind all of the money, the kingpins, the cartels, the criminal groups and yes, the violence, are people. Normal, everyday people. Exploited terrorized, extorted, and killed. But even in this most challenging of environments, as shown by Luz Adriana in Kinamajo, Genis in Altos del Tigre, and Yolima in San Isidro, there are those who fight, not just for today, but for the future of their communities. And with the help of projects like Somos Comunidad, leaders like them can attempt to combat the endless cycle of violence that has plagued their communities create a strong community with better opportunities than those offered at the end of a gun. That is resilience. That is hope. That's it for this episode of Deep Dive. I'd like to thank Felipe, Joshua and all the community leaders and initiative attendees who agreed to talk to me for this podcast. A special thank you to Valentina and Lena in particular who helped me a lot on this episode. For more information on Somos Comunidad and the brilliant work they do, there are links and a few papers in the podcast notes. The Global Initiative releases new research every week into organised crime around the world. Just head over to our social media channels and our website, which is globalinitiative.net. 
This has been Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. Thanks for listening.